0: Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 and as usual I know that you're going to find it helpful to have your copy of scripture open and reading along there with me Colossians 1 1 through 8 and before we do uh, let's pray again for God's blessing father I am not sufficient as a minister of the new covenant to um, be the aroma of life to life to some and death to death to others And, Father, I know that as your word goes out, it will be life to some and death to others, that it will be a fragrance one way or the other. I know that as Christ is exalted, he will either be that chief cornerstone to which our souls are drawn, or he will be a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Father, we pray that it would not be so for us this morning that any would find the gospel to be death unto death, that the fragrant aroma of Jesus would be pervasive in this place, Father, I pray that you would do that great work in our hearts that only you can by the everlasting Spirit. Oh, Father, send the Holy Spirit to us this morning. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. Make us attentive. Pray that your saints would be built up in faith and love and grace and mercy and that those that do not know you, that today, Father, they would have their hearts changed, that they would be brought from death to life, that they would come to know the Christ who is the hope of glory. Father, we pray that you would meet with us. You would bless both the one that preaches and those that hear. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world and is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God endures forever. I don't know if you've ever gotten a letter written to you without an introduction, without telling you who wrote it. Uh, About four years ago, when I was on staff at 10th Presbyterian Church, I had been asked to teach a college class on anger and emotions from the book of Proverbs. And uh, weeks had gone by after I'd been asked to teach this class. And one day I went down to my mailbox to get uh, any letters or important things that were in the mailbox there at 10th. And I went and I pulled out a sheet of paper and it had my name on it. And it had probably 50 verses out of the Proverbs on anger and emotions. And I had forgotten that I was supposed to teach on anger and emotions from the Proverbs, and knowing my own heart, and knowing my own weaknesses, I thought is somebody trying to tell me something subversively. They had just put this little letter into my mailbox. They had not put a name on it. I thought, well, it's Phil Rykin trying to tell me I need to grow in the area of anger and emotions. And when I, when I found out that, oh, I'm teaching on anger and emotions, I was relieved. I was relieved that people didn't know me nearly as well as they thought they did. Well, the reason I tell you that story is because Uh, The greeting to a letter, the introduction to a letter, who's writing to you and what they're saying and why they're saying it is immensely important to understanding the content of a letter. And I think the book of Colossians, that's very important as we enter in on this study because Paul tells us a number of things in this letter that he doesn't tell us at the introduction of the other letters. We're going to see this morning just two things in these first eight verses. We're going to see first um, the Apostles' introduction to the Colossians, and then we're going to see second the Apostles' thanksgiving for the Colossians, the, the Apostles' introduction to the Colossians and his thanksgiving for the Colossians. Well, notice what Paul says there at the beginning. You may you may be so familiar with reading your Bible, with reading the the letters, the epistles that Paul wrote. You may be so familiar with it, you just read over verse 1 and 2 as if there's nothing in it to say to you. Notice, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Well, we know this is Paul the apostle who was Saul of Tarsus, who was the great persecutor of the church who was himself the one trying to stop the advance of the gospel, who was converted on the Damascus Road, who was brought under the dominion of Jesus Christ by grace and mercy, who was then commissioned to be the great apostle to the Gentiles, who is now giving himself to bring that gospel to the Gentiles. And notice, notice that Paul says in that first verse that he is an apostle. Now, you all, most of you know what an apostle is. An apostle was one that was called by Christ, commissioned by Christ, given authority over all the churches, uh, was called, many of them, to write the scriptures to finish the revelation of God about Jesus Christ. And they had a unique authority because what they said in these letters was binding on all churches for all time. Now, you may say, wait a minute, why are we, 21st century Americans who are smart, who have good jobs, most of whom are well-educated, why are we studying a letter written so long ago to people that we would think were primitive? What difference would that make to me? Paul obviously knew these people. Actually, Paul didn't know these people. The apostle actually didn't know the people he was writing to. And the apostle was actually in jail when he was writing to them. And it's important that we understand that because Paul will tell them later that he has a burden for them and for everyone that he has not seen in every place. All of the churches around the world never met the Colossians, yet he is in prison. He is in prison writing to a people he's never met because of a burden laid on him by the commission and the, and the uh, emissary nature of his apostolic ministry that Jesus gave him. And it is attested to by the fact, notice, that he says he is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Paul is not taking something on himself, saying, well, you need to listen to me because I'm Paul. Actually, I hear old friends all the time, many of whom go to Ivy League schools and become incredibly liberal and wicked, say to me, well, I don't like Paul. I like what James says. (laughs) I like what Peter says, as if you get to choose who you like to listen to in the Bible. As if God gives you a choice. Paul says, no, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. By the will of God. It was God's will that set Paul apart. God planned that in eternity. Paul certainly didn't take that on himself. Paul was going to kill Christians when he was converted. Let me say that emphatically. That is a testimony to the truth of this. He was going to do the complete opposite thing I am doing right now. And God said, no, you will take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he converted Paul. And Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do, even to the point of imprisonment, which is precisely where Paul is now. And you wouldn't know that until you turn to the end of the book. And there in that last verse, Colossians 4.18, Paul says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Remember my chains Grace be with you. And so it is Paul the Apostle. Interesting that he is writing with Timothy, but he doesn't say, Timothy, another Apostle. He says, Timothy, our brother. And in that sense, Paul is actually gaining proof of that apostolic ministry. It is the Apostle Paul, and it is our brother, Timothy. And Timothy is uh, coalescing, as it were, with Paul, saying, Yes, this is good. This letter is coming from God by the will of God. Now, Paul is not just an Apostle of God. He's not just an apostle of God. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, why would that be important? Because I hear people constantly saying things like, I just knew I needed God in my life. And I just knew I needed more of God. And I knew I needed to get right with God. On one hand, there's nothing wrong with that. On one hand, there's nothing wrong with saying I need my life to be right with God. On another hand... When a man or a woman doesn't talk about Jesus Christ, they know nothing of being right with God because a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl can only be right with God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the center of God's revelation. He is the Son. He is the one that said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. Paul didn't say that. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. He is the way, the truth, and the life through his atoning death. He gets the preeminence. He is the only way to God. And Paul can't even finish the first sentence without mentioning Jesus. Notice this. Paul can't even finish the first sentence of this book without mentioning Jesus. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he will mention Jesus, I believe, six times in the first eight verses and 60 times in the 95 verses of the book. It's a good habit. Go through. Take your pen him, He, Christ Jesus, Jesus you'll see how consumed Paul was with Jesus Christ. Paul was consumed with the Lord Jesus Christ. I I often hear ministers say, well, I I don't think we need to preach Christ so much. Um, I think it's detrimental to preach Christ so much. And I was thinking on my way here, I I do a podcast, some of you know, and I thought, well, what if we had Paul on the podcast? And I said, Paul, do we need to preach Jesus all the time and in every sermon? I mean, obviously, you, you tell us that. I think even if Paul said that, Today, if you were alive, there would still be people that argue with that. Paul can't go one sentence without mentioning Jesus. He can't go one sentence. He can't take one step without mentioning the one who this book says gets the preeminence. And so Paul is pointing away from himself to Jesus Christ. He is pointing to the will of God. And secondly, he is writing to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossi. Now, Paul's never met these people. How does he know they're saints? That's an interesting concept. Who is a saint? What makes a saint? Well, Paul says in this book and in many other books that anyone who believes on Jesus is a saint. Little old you, whoever you are, if you believe on Jesus, you are a saint. Unfortunately, my name is Nicholas, and so my dad would constantly tell me I was a saint as a boy, and kids would make fun and call me St. Nicholas. But it was true. It was true that God sets apart his people in Jesus Christ, he sanctifies them through his sanctifying death. And you know what? It's not up to what you have done that makes you a saint. It's not what you do that makes you a saint. It's what Christ has done. Notice what Paul says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He is saying a world, he is saying a world of theological truth in this statement. He is writing to people he's never met, but he knows that they profess faith in Christ. He knows what Jesus has accomplished, and he says, I am writing to the saints. He is motivating them by telling them what they are, not telling them what they want to become. Too many people think, if I do this, if I do this, then maybe I'll become this. Paul says, no, in the gospel, you are saints. And that has massive implications. Look, I say this to you a lot, and I think we need to be reminded almost on a daily basis. If I look at you as a saint, and you look at me as a saint, what mutual love and respect and honor and humility will we show to one another because we know it's in Christ? that we are saints. It has massive implications. Massive implications for the Christian life. And what would Richmond Hill think if they saw us living out our Christian life, knowing what we are, living it out, and they would say, you know, there's something about those people. There's something about them. They're different than other people. Not because they make up rules and regulations and try to be weird and peculiar, but because they're they're united to Jesus. There's something different about them. And so Paul says to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, he calls them saints and faithful. He's heard, notice verse 8, he's heard all about them from this guy, Epaphras. Verse 7, I'm sorry, just as we learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Epaphras will end up in prison with Paul. We know two things about Epaphras. He preached, he was the first one to preach the gospel to the Colossians, and he went to prison for it. That's all we know about Epaphras. What a marvelous way to be remembered, isn't it? He's the first guy to bring the gospel. He maybe learned from Paul when Paul was in Ephesus and Paul had that seminary at the school of Tyrannus. Maybe he was one of his seminary students and Epaphras had gone out to this little area now somewhere in turkey and he had preached the gospel they had never heard that gospel they had never heard the grace of god they had never heard that they could be forgiven of sins they had never heard that they could be accepted and that they could have the hope of heaven freely based on what jesus did and epaphras had taken it there and he was the first one and he had brought back word to paul about them and he had said these people are believing the gospel they are resting in jesus they are saints they are faithful brothers. Notice notice what Paul says about them in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul had heard that all these people he didn't know were believing the gospel. In the midst of the Roman Empire and all of its rule and all of the paganism and all of the persecution, people were believing the gospel. They were believing the good news. And Paul said, I've heard. I've heard. And you know what? I think if we're a healthy church, we should be hearing about people believing the gospel. I, I mourn that we don't see more conversions. I can't convert anybody. You can't convert anybody. We don't do an altar call. God has to convert, but it's through the preaching of the gospel. Epaphras had taken the gospel, and they had believed, and he brought back word, and Paul heard. He heard about them. And so he writes on the basis of that testimony to the saints and faithful brothers. He then tells them they have two identities in the address. He says... They are saints and faithful in Christ, and they are in Colossae. Now, this is the glorious mystery. This is a glorious mystery of the New Testament, that if you are a believer, you are in Christ. You are a citizen of heaven. Heaven is your home. The new heavens and the new earth will be your dwelling place. You are in Jesus. That's your identity. What people think about you, whoever you are sitting there, ought to be, number one, that you are in Christ. And then, secondly, that God has left us in the world to be a witness to Christ in the world, they are in Colossae. You see, God doesn't save people to put them in a monastery somewhere so that they don't minister the gospel to people. God saves people and puts them in Jesus so that in whatever town, and you, beloved, are saints in Christ in Richmond Hill and Hinesville and Savannah. We are saints in Christ in this town where God has left us to be a witness for Jesus and that's marvelous and that ought to change our mindset about what we're here for and where we live and why we view the way we we view the things that we view and the places that we live the way we do cuz we forget our identity in Jesus and that he sovereignly had these people in that town as saints in him and it's a magnificent introduction in those first two verses. He then gives them the benediction, grace to you and peace from God our Father. The totality of the Christian religion can in one sense and the, the experience of Christians be summed up in those two words, grace and peace. Grace from God, peace with God. Grace from God, undeserved, unmerited, eternal grace, grace upon grace upon grace until you are in glory and that you have peace in your soul with God through the blood of Jesus. He'll so go on to say that in this book that he has made peace the blood of his cross. That holy God and sinful man are now reconciled through the blood of Jesus. And we have peace. And so he wants them to know grace and peace from God the Father. Well, I want to point out, I want to point out, secondly, moving from the introduction to the thanksgiving. Notice what Paul says in verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Now, Paul is praying for people he doesn't know. Paul is praying for other believers he's heard about, never met them, never seen them face to face. The only thing he's gotten is a testimony from Epaphras. And he's praying for them, and he's thanking God for them. And here's what I want to point out, first of all. God had done a marvelous work in these people, and the word about them had gone out. Paul doesn't commend them. He doesn't say, good job, Colossians. Good job on believing in Jesus. Good job. Good for you. Good for you for getting your life together. Good for you. You're you're different. You've grown up. You've shaped up. He doesn't say that. He thanks God. He doesn't commend the Colossians. He thanks God. You see, Paul is always recognizing the work of God in the souls of men. He's always recognizing that it's God's work in the souls of men, that it's not anything that any man does. It's not anything that Epaphras did. It's not anything that he did. It's what God does. And notice what he says. We thank God always, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ. How had they come to believe in Christ? by God's grace and mercy. How had they come to embrace Jesus and believe that gospel instead of despising it like so many people do? By the working of God. And so, Paul is thanking God. And he's thanking the persons of the Godhead, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the covenant God, the God who fulfills all things in the gospel. And he's praying for them and he's thanking God for their faith in Christ and the love that they have for the saints. Now, While grace and mercy and grace and peace can sum up the totality of the Christian experience in one sense, so can faith toward Christ and love for the saints. Um, We must never lose sight. There is always that vertical and horizontal dimension of your life and my life. We can't can't say we love God who we have not seen and hate our brother who we've seen, John says. They are mutually connected, they had faith in Christ, and because they had faith in Christ, they had love for the saints. Because they had faith in Christ. Now, that's, that's one of those tests Paul gives us, too, isn't it? That we ask, well, number one, do I have faith in Christ? And number two, do I have love for the saints? Do I love the people of God? As unlovely as the people of God can be, do I really love them? Will I love them enough to overlook their blemishes, to overlook their faults, not to demand them to serve me, but to serve them? C.S. Lewis has this great illustration. He says, um, In heaven, the nerdiest, most despised Christian the world has ever known will be so glorious that you will be tempted to fall down and worship him. The nerdiest, most annoying, most despised believer on earth will be so glorious in heaven because they are saints and they will be glorified by Christ when he comes that, that we will be tempted to worship them just as John, the apostle, was tempted to worship the angels in heaven. And so how ought we to be caring for one another and loving one another, knowing one day all of those blemishes that we see so clearly in each other will be gone away? They were loving each other. They were believing Jesus. They were walking by faith and loving the saints. And then Paul says, and this is really, in in many respects, the heart of this letter. Notice what he says in verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now, These Colossians probably had all kinds of troubles. They probably had all kinds of sorrows, stuff you probably don't know about and I don't know about. They were persecuted. They would have been mocked far worse than we could ever imagine. They would have had possessions taken from them just like the Hebrew Christians did. And yet Paul doesn't tell them that he's thankful to God that he's helped them live a better life here and now. Or to have to overcome their problems here and now. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. You see, the Christian life is a life of pressing on in the hope of the glory that we will enjoy with Jesus Christ. The whole of the Bible is about that for the believer. The whole of the Bible is saying... We are heading there. Jesus came, and what did he say? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am there you may be, that you may behold my glory. You see, heaven is where Jesus is. Heaven is being with Jesus. I, I've said this before to you. I, I don't really think about what heaven's going to be like anymore except knowing it's going to be with Jesus. And so if we love Jesus and see how infinitely glorious he is, then that, that is going to be the most soul-rewarding, soul-satisfying thing for all of eternity. And we won't care if there's golf courses in heaven. We won't care. We won't care about any of the other trite nonsense because Jesus is in heaven and he's our Savior and he is the Lamb who will shepherd us through liver, rivers of living water and all sorrow and sighing and tears will be wiped away and the Lamb will be all the glory. And Paul says that is sure and certain to you. To you. Let me ask you, do you struggle with assurance? Do you struggle with doubts? Do you struggle with fears? Do you not think about eternity? Paul is lifting our minds up and he's saying, listen, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, our hope is the hope of heaven, the hope laid up in heaven where Christ is. He'll say that later in chapter 3. He'll say, he'll say if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Christ is somewhere right now. As Derek Thomas says, Jesus has a zip code. He has a zip code. He is somewhere. He is not in the grave. He is in heaven. He is there. I know the world won't tell you that. He is somewhere in spatial, heavenly places, seated on the throne of God. His body is there. His humanity is there. His deity is there. His deity is here. Jesus is in heaven. The hope of heaven, he is the hope of heaven for us. If we had believed on him, uh, one old Puritan used to say, if Jesus was in hell, then hell would be a heaven for me. Don't try to logically figure that one out, but if Jesus was in hell, hell would be a heaven for me. His point is that where Christ is, is the hope of the believer. Now, I know we, our hearts grow dull I know we get sidetracked with the world and everything going on and and what God wants is to lift us above. The believer, as it were, soars high above the world because he is hoping in heaven. He soars over worldly things that distract. Um, The believer is going somewhere. His citizenship is in heaven and so Paul says, I thank God because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And then he says... Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. So Epaphras had preached the gospel to them. These people that didn't know anything about any truth and religion heard the truth. They heard the gospel. They heard the good news. They heard that if they would repent of their sins and trust in Jesus, they would have heaven because of what he did. And and Paul says, notice what he says, that they believed. And he says that that gospel came to them as it went to the whole world. And was bearing fruit and growing as it did since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. There are, sadly, many Christians who think you don't need to hear the gospel over and over and over and over again. If you want a proof text, Colossians 1.6, the Apostle Paul says, you heard the word of the truth of the gospel and it bore fruit in your life when you first believed and it continues to do so. It continues to do so. When you hear about Christ crucified and risen, that continues to bear fruit as you believe, and that word is made effectual. Listen, we cannot grow tired of Jesus. We cannot grow tired of Jesus. We cannot grow tired of hearing about his atoning death. That is not entry point salvation. It's not. It is not just at the beginning of your Christian life. We need Christ every day. We need the gospel every day. When we forget the gospel, fruit is not born in our life. When I forget the gospel, I live as the old Nick in the old ways, putting myself back under the dominion of sin that has been freed in him. And when I forget that, Paul says, remember, you died with Christ. You died with him. You died with him. You died with him. You were raised with him. Paul's going to say that in chapter 2 before he ever tells you anything that you're supposed to do. And so the gospel continues to bear fruit. You know, I know that I will keep preaching Christ crucified, and at some point in my life and your life, it will be evident that God is bearing fruit. That God is bearing fruit. So Paul says he thanks God that that gospel is the source of fruit bearing and growing. As it was since the day you heard it, it continues to be since you understood the grace of God in truth. I'm going to end this sermon with just a couple thoughts as we prepare to go on in Colossians. If you have doubts about the authority of the Bible, and maybe some of you have doubts about that, and I I understand that, there's lots of religious books out there, there's lots of voices and people saying things, and how do I know what's true, Um, I encourage you to sit and diligently study the scriptures. Consider the things that I've said about Paul as an apostle in prison, writing to people he didn't know, people he's never met, that he loved, that he wanted to tell what great things God had done for them. Number two, if you are wor- walking closely with God, settle it in your hearts, settle it in your hearts to be thankful for other brethren. That's, a, that's an example that Paul's left us. He's praying for people he's never met. Settle it in your hearts To love fervently the brethren. Even if you've never met them, pray for other churches. Pray for our church. Pray for each other. You know, I fear sometimes when I read passages like this, I think about my own responses. Am I thankful? Am I thankful for the work of God in other believers? Third, don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. Don't think you don't need the gospel. It doesn't matter if you're one or if you're 100, you need the gospel. The gospel continues bearing fruit. It continues working in us. Uh, it's It's said by several ministers that I respect very much that Paul never got over the gospel, not just for the lost, for the church. He's writing to people that have believed it, and he is reminding them of the power of Christ crucified and risen for them. If you have areas in your life that you see sin, discontentment, uh, immaturity, lack of growth, you need the gospel. We need the gospel. And and finally, there's a hope. There's a sure and cer- certain hope if you are you are a believer. And that is that you will be with Jesus in glory. If you are a believer, you will be with Jesus. It's not what you do. It's what he has done for you. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church.